0: I'm Drake. And welcome to Backstage Biddies, a podcast where two theater nerds discuss our love and sometimes hate of movie musicals. From Golden Age to Disney to Contemporary, we will recap and review all things movie musical.
1: Join us as we scrutinize Hollywood casting, dive into the history of all your faves, and gossip about controversies of the stage and screen. Press play and sing along because this, this is Backstage Biddies. I'd give it to me hard and fast. What's the hint?
0: The hint? The hint this week...
1: No messing around. Is... Get right to it.
0: We're doing this one for your dad, right?
1: Don't waste another <laughs> moment. <laughs> yes, this one is in dedication to my dad because The Wizard of Oz is my mom's favorite and this one is my dad's favorite. Tell us the hint.
0: The hint is Quaker Oats.
1: What a ridiculously <laughs> vague hint. Why Quaker Oats? Tell me everything. So
0: Quaker Oats actually is how this movie even got made.
1: Right. They like sponsored the production. They
0: sponsored it and they, (laughs) I just, it was like
1: propaganda to sell candy bars.
0: And with candy bars, you know we have to be talking about the 1971 film, Oh Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, happy
1: birthday, Dad. This one's your favorite. You don't really listen to the pod, but Mom does, and she'll tell you about this. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so the film was released June 30th, 1971. It was directed by Mel Stewart, screenplay by Roland Dahl. Cinematography- by whom? Dahl. Rolled doll.
1: Rolled? Do you call him Roland? No. Okay. I just know your track record with names and you kind of cruised through that one.
0: <laughs> and sometimes, Drake, we cruise through them. <laughs> <laughs> For that
1: exact reason! I'm sorry. Anywho, Rolled Dahl wrote the thing. What next?
0: Cinematography by Arthur Ibston. Fine. Yeah, music by uh, Leslie Bricus, <laughs> Leslie Bricus and Anthony Newley. I don't it's... know
1: who they are. Did they do other stuff? I've never heard those names before. Not much. Huh. Interesting.
0: Not that I. Not One th- hit wonders, not, I suppose. I saw. Um. Hit is a strong word. Okay. Until later. Okay. But for the time. That's fair. Yeah. um, And we'll talk about that. So this is actually based off of the same book by Mr. Dahl.
1: Yeah, it's based on two books. They take bits yep. and pieces from both of them. So it's, well, what's the first one, the, the actual title?
0: Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Or right. are you t- talking about the... The book. Yeah, that's what it's called. Charlie the book, and the Chocolate Factory. The book is actually called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And there is a reason as to why the movie was not named that. And we will talk about that in a minute.
1: The other movie is, I think it's Charlie in the Glass Elevator.
0: Gotcha. Something,
1: something in the glass elevator. So
0: for what the end of right, the Right, they, ta- they take
1: pieces from both of them. So, I just always get confused because the title of this throughout its legacy and like the remake and all that, like it's just changed back and forth so many times. Yeah. I get confused.
0: Yeah. So the cast uh, is made up of the Gene Wilder. Bless. My husband. What
1: a hero. I
0: love him so much.
1: The day he passed...
0: That was, that was genuinely rough.
1: Oh my God. I curled up into a ball for that entire evening and just like watched old Gene Wilder movies for hours.
0: I The amount of times that I could rewatch Young Frankenstein. Oh my on
1: God. The- I consider it a perfect film. I have no notes. There's nothing you can do to improve it. Not one thing.
0: The only thing that I think you could do to improve it is plug in the musical numbers and make it a movie musical.
1: I think that's true. I think they'd make a great movie musical adaptation.
0: I think... Put that on the list, kids.
1: Put that one on the list. That's Oof. gotta be
0: done. Jack Alberstein as Grandpa Joe.
1: Fuck you, Grandpa Joe. <laughs>
0: I have strong and specific feelings about Grandpa Joe that we will get do into I. in a minute. Um, Peter Ostrom is Charlie Bucket, which fun fact this was his first film.
1: It was also his last film.
0: But I think he did a a bang up job in this. He
1: did. Uh, he he did a really good job. But he decided after this film that acting wasn't for him, and he became a veterinarian instead.
0: I love that for him. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a really fun mustache right now. Oh, does he? The last image that I saw. I thought you meant in this
1: movie and I was like, I don't think he does. I think that's incorrect.
0: (laughs) No, in real life. Roy Keener as Mr. Salt. Julie Dawn Cole as Veruca Salt. Leonard Stone as Mr. Beauregard. Dodo Denny as Mrs. TV. What a name. Brilliant. Yep. And we also have Denise Nickerson as Violet Beauregard and uh Paris Themen as Mike TV. So it turns out just a fun fact, Paris Thurman, uh, Themen uh sorry there's no r, was an absolute twat.
1: Uh yeah, you can kind of tell.
0: As a child, there is this like documentary thing that they filmed um and a book release called Pure Imagination, the story of making oh, Willy Wonka. Oh cute,
1: Lanka. good title.
0: Yeah. And like the director and like everybody was like, "All right, Paris, you know this about you when you were a kid, because this was like decades later. That of they course did this. you were awful. <laughs> because so there is a scene where in one of the machines there's live bees.
1: Oh my god! Oh right, right.
0: He released the hive.
1: Oh my god!
0: Like he when I say that he was an a menace. awful menace of a child to have on set. They think that this part is funny because they're like it. Fells in so well with the way this, the story of this movie. So after he released the bees, he got stung in the forehead.
1: Well. So
0: it's very, so like.
1: Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, ex- children. <laughs>
0: exactly. That's kind of what they, what they said. Um, We also have Ursula Wright as Mrs. Gloop. And Michael Buhlner as Augustus Gloop. Can I get that last name just one more time? Buhlner
1: fantastic
0: <laughs> uh he they actually found him in Germany
1: that tracks
0: they like were looking around and they found uh they found a fat child that was German and were like we've been looking for you perfect and then we also have Diana Swoley as mrs. bucket, so the mom
1: her name one more time Swoley? she's or a,
0: maybe Swole? she's a gift Diana
1: yeah, yeah.
0: and then we also have Gunta Meisner as Arthur Slugworth.
1: Mm, yeah. Creepy.
0: Creepy, creepy. Um, so that's our star-studded cast. Not really star-studded, but you know what I, I gonna mean. I was going to
1: say, it wasn't really full of big names at the time.
0: No, the only aside one. Aside from
1: Gene Wilder. Yeah,
0: exactly. So for the production, like I said, Quaker Oats backed it. So one of the main like producer guys that was trying to get this thing kicked off was Mike Stewart. He showed the book to... Dave Walper, who is another going to be like a producer on it because Walper was in the talks with Quaker Oats because Quaker Oats was like, we have a new candy bar. We want to be able to market it, but we have no idea how to do this because we make oats for a <laughs> living. <laughs> <laughs> and those you don't necessarily really need to market because they're kind of like...
1: People are going to buy them. It's like rice. a ba- Yeah. It's kind of like a it. base.
0: So I don't know how to do this. And so they were like, Excellent. Good. Great. We can call it the Wonka bar. Great. And we can, we can sell it this way. We'll back your movie. It's a whole thing. The candy portion of Quaker Oats actually like broke off and was called the Willy Wonka candy company and they oh. sold it to Nestle eventually.
1: I was going to say, did you ever have any of the, like the Nestle chocolate Wonka recreations as a kid? Mm-hmm. I fucking love that shit. Me too. The little like sprinkles covered donut shaped one. Oh man. Oh, I could fuck one of those up right now.
0: Oh, yes. So an- another side note with this film. So as we go through, we're going to talk about these little weird scenelets that happen. Sure. They were short short little scenes that kind of were just depicting how absolutely bonkers like actual full-blown adults got about these golden tickets. And those were written by someone else. They were actually written by Robert Kaufman, but he went uncredited for the film. Rough. Yeah. So Robert Kaufman, those scenes were genuinely like, really stupid and made no sense, but as little seamless they were They're very funny. funny. So there were different reasons to why they changed, like several different reasons as to why they changed it from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory.
1: Tell me all about it.
0: So the reason for that is because during the 1960s, the term Mr. Charlie was used as a pejorative expression in the African-American community for a white man in power.
1: Oh.
0: So they were like, oh.
1: Well, we can't very well call it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yep. There are slaves who run the factory. We can't. Yep. Oof. Well, good decision.
0: And also, the U.S. soldiers in Vietnam used Charlie as a diversive term for the Viet Cong. Gotcha. So there was like several things Yeah. That added to that, which is why eventually the name got changed back because those those terms didn't have that same meaning. Sure, those things faded from the
1: Zeitgeist and weren't deterring factors anymore. Right. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. So the studio publicly stated that the title was changed to put emphasis on the eccentric uh, central character of Willy Wonka. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, sure. Tell yourself whatever you need to.
0: Wolper had said that one of the reasons that he wanted to change it, besides all those other reasons, was for product placement. Yeah. Which makes way more, like, obviously those other things make sense. And they're important reasons. But if you're talking in the terms of marketing and things like that... If people And he literally said, if people say, I saw Willy Wonka, people would know what they're talking about. But if they say, I saw Charlie, it doesn't mean the same thing. You're right. That's why they're like, from a marketing standpoint, it does make more sense to change it to Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Because with a long title like that, oftentimes people will cut it down to like...
1: Yeah, you abbreviate it.
0: Exactly. So fun fact, before Wilder was officially cast as Willy Wonka, the producers considered uh, Fred Astaire, Joel Grey... Ron Moody and John Pertwee. And actually there was a lot of people that wanted in on this movie when it was first being made.
1: That's crazy because again, Gene Wilder is like the only real name in the movie. Mm-hmm. I wonder why people wanted it so badly.
0: Um, Sammy Davis Jr. made the Candyman song like super Ooh. popular. Okay. He wanted to be the Candyman in this like the dude who sells the That would have been so cool. They didn't want people to be pulled out of the film so quickly by having such a recognizable person right oh, off the top. Oh, sure. Because that person is literally right at the top.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess that makes sense. Not known. Joel um, Grey would have been such a good Willy Wonka.
0: Joel Grey was actually the first pick by the director.
1: That makes so much sense. He would have been so good.
0: And it wasn't until Wilder came in for auditions. He was like one of the last auditions. Oh. And they were like Oh my god. This man is perfect.
1: Well, and he was. And he
0: was. There's a reason that he got the role. Another fun fact that I didn't know about, the primary shooting locations were actually in like a Bavaria. Yeah, Munich, Bavaria, West Germany, because it looked recognizable enough, but not what Americans would see every day.
1: Yeah, it had like a more of a storybook quality to it.
0: Exactly. And there's a lot of those same structures, like for the outside of the factory and things like that, that are still standing.
1: Yeah, you can visit them. Yep.
0: The reception of this. So it only earned a million dollars.
1: Just a cool mill.
0: Just a cool mill. But for like a bigger production and things like that, they were like, "Oh, oops."
1: Not the return they they wanted.
0: No, because they spent three million on the movie. Yeah. So this movie really main remained in obscurity for quite a while. The rights lapsed in 1977, and Paramount Pictures originally owned it, and they were like, "No, we're not gonna, we're not gonna pay for these rights we anymore." We don't need to
1: maintain this property.
0: No, so then it was defaulted back to Quaker Oats. Obviously, they were not in the film industry, so they sold it to Warner Brothers for $500,000. Wow. But in the 80s, the film like went off as like the 80s, and then like 96, there was a 25th anniversary re-release, which grossed the film another $21 million. Woo! Cool. Oh, yeah, because it became... Jesus. Because it... Did this thing where it became a cult classic? Sure. And then as those people became to age, they started introducing all of their kids, and uh,
1: that's how I found it. My dad is obsessed with this movie.
0: Exactly. That's how cult classic films like this go. So Warner Brothers bought this sucker for five hundred thousand and made another cool twenty one mil.
1: <laughs> well.
0: In two thousand three, Entertainment Weekly ranked it twenty fifth in the top fifty cult movies of all time.
1: I think it should be even higher than that.
0: And in 2014, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry in the libra- uh, Library of Congress.
1: That tracks. It's because a great it's movie.
0: Culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. You're right. <laughs> but so like obviously it didn't really it didn't win awards. That's <laughs> not a thing that it did because it performed so poorly. Yeah. But now it's like this huge thing that's blown up and then It's a I'm,
1: cultural touchstone.
0: And big enough to become a musical again.
1: Yeah, it's longevity lent itself to a stage production. It was a musical written by Shaman and Whitman. It premiered on the West End in 2013 and ran for three years and seven months.
0: Mm. That's a
1: long run. It is. They had a, a hefty run there. It transferred to Broadway in 2017 and only ran for nine months. It did win two Olivier Awards, Best Costume Design and Best Lighting Design. It was not nominated for, nor did it win any Tony Awards. Why, you might ask? I do. From the West End to Broadway, they did a bit of reworking and reframing in the musical. And when it premiered on Broadway, they had replaced all of the child actors who played the kids with adults. Okay. With the exception of Charlie Bucket, every role was played Um... by... Every role was played by an adult actor.
0: So, okay.
1: All or nothing, in my opinion.
0: And that's the thing, is that these other roles, it is important for them to be kids.
1: Right, and I think that's the whole reason it flopped, was just because you made the children into adults, and because of that, the show meant something different. This is a very, like, age-specific casting kind of situation.
0: Well, exactly, and that's... I. The whole thing is about, like, the innocence of children that, like, can get muddled up with adulthood. Right. And the way adults are.
1: Right. It's the magic of childhood. It's the wonderment and how we taint it. And, yeah, it just meant something different. And it has had two American tours since that first Broadway production, both which featured child actors in those roles, both to great success. So (laughs) I think we all learned our lesson there. So despite the fact that the original Broadway production had like Christian Borle and Jackie Hoffman and like big names, like good performers, it like totally flopped.
0: Let's dive into some plot, biddies.
1: Give it to me hard and fast.
0: All right. So we come in. We have an overture with... Chocolate making process happening in the background.
1: I find candy making so soothing. It's (gasps) like, I hate ASMR. I hate it. It makes my skin crawl. But I do love watching candy making videos. I find them so therapeutic.
0: There is a family on the TikTok that owns like a candy making, like small business. I have seen them. Love that, like, father daughter combo there. I just think it's so
1: neat. And it's such an old practice. Like, it's so. And it hasn't changed, like some of it has, but like a lot of old candy, like you can still make it the exact same way.
0: We come into this town, we see kids are leaving school, heading straight towards the candy shop, and we get a number fairly quickly off the top.
1: We do, right off the bat.
0: We get the Candyman. The Candyman
1: can. I used to rewind this movie and watch this song twice every time I watched this movie because I loved it so much.
0: I don't know why it creeps me out.
1: Well, I think because... Our perspective now on, like, grown adults being left with children that they don't know is different.
0: That's true. And he has, like, creepy eyeballs.
1: That's fair. But at this time, this was before, like, serial killers became a real public concern. Like, children were still allowed to, like, run around the streets unattended until, like, Latchkey kids and right, all like, that kind of fun stuff. The perspective on... The world. Uh, particularly on, like, how adults were considered safe... For children at the time, it was just different. It was a different perspective on who we let care for our children without,
0: without supervision. A supervision of a, of a person that the parents trusted.
1: Right. I mean, it was just or whatever. much more of a communal raising of a child kind of vibe. And that's not the vibe now.
0: No. They sing about like the fact that Wonka's got another chocolate bar that he just came out with. And they're like, oh, how, how does he come up with all of this stuff? And he's like, Wonka was born to do this. That's how, like, there are some people that are going to have whatever jobs, but there are some people that are just born to do something. And Wonka was born to make chocolate and candies.
1: He whips out a roll of paper dots at one point during this song.
0: He does. There's like whole choreo with like different kinds of candies. The kids like running around with them and rolling them out and da, da, da.
1: Paper dots are like my favorite vintage candy. They're fun. They're my favey fave. What's yours?
0: So I think it would have to be, you know, I love a good hard butterscotch candy. Oh, I love
1: a butterscotch. I'm an
0: 80 year old woman. Um, I also really enjoy peppermint saltwater taffy, specifically peppermint.
1: I love taffy.
0: I don't jive with most flavors of taffy, but the peppermint. They can be hit
1: or miss. <laughs> yeah,
0: but the peppermint always is a hit for me, and I always thoroughly enjoy it.
1: I only eat peppermint taffy around the holidays. Is that weird?
0: No, no. I peppermint like, is a very. Are you trying like Christmassy? Yeah, yeah. Peppermint is a very Christmassy flavor.
1: I only do them like I'll do like peppermint nougats or peppermint taffy. Mm-hmm. I do love a good taffy though. Also, what year is it?
0: No, I don't know. I can't find know. it. I because couldn't I'm find like, it in like
1: a setting anywhere.
0: Because I was like, okay. So, certain things about the way people look to me says 60s. Yeah, but a then, lot of the
1: a lot of the clothing on the kids and some of the hairstyles on the mom make me think like probably like late 60s. Okay. Which makes sense for when this movie was released.
0: Right, but there's other things that happen that make no... I'm just like, this seems more like almost Oliver Twist. Era, like, old.
1: Yeah, especially when we start looking 1960s. at, like, Charlie's family, like, the impoverished in this movie are mm-hmm. significantly older. And I guess the book is set, like, somewhere around the 1920s when Cadbury and Roundtree, the two main chocolate producers at the time, were feuding. Mm. They got very competitive and started, like, guarding their chocolate production process, which is what like this story is based on.
0: So maybe it's because there's a mix of like the yeah. 1920s in... I think
1: it's meant to feel relatable to the audience it was being given to, because but also to land... Because everybody has
0: TVs too.
1: Exactly. But it's also meant to land like outside of a time period.
0: It's very fantasy. So I think yes. it makes sense that there's no real time put to it. I think I think that's
1: true. I take a lot of pride in being able to pinpoint exact time periods on films. Knowing that this one like probably doesn't have an exact one makes me feel better. Yeah. Because I can't place it exactly. But I want to say a, most of the vibe is like loosely end of the 60s. Yeah.
0: We get to see. So the, at this point, we haven't seen Charlie yet. Not yet. Um, but he does show up right outside of the candy shop. And he walks over to this paper stand because he's going to deliver papers. He wants to be able to buy candy, but he can't. And he's like, oh, by the way, it's payday, right? And his boss is like, yeah, you're right. Here's money. And he goes and starts whipping papers out at people. And then he is heading home from all of this. He's walking past Wonka's factory. This creepy guy comes out of the shadows. There's so many creepy men.
1: So many creepy dudes.
0: So many creepy men throughout this whole film. So he's called the Tinker.
1: Whatever. He's the knife guy.
0: He is terrifying.
1: He's pushing like a, it looks like a fruit cart, but it's covered in like knives and swords.
0: And he tells this weird, I don't know what you would call it.
1: I would call it an anecdote.
0: An anecdote. So he says this anecdote about how no one goes in or out of the factory. And he talks about no one wants to go into the woods to go hunting for fear of little men. And I'm like, okay, so is this some weird thing of like, people have kind of seen, maybe someone low-key has seen something going on there, but they don't know how to explain what these beings are?
1: Very likely.
0: Or had they heard stories of some other place that, like, Wonka had supposedly gone to.
1: The lore of the factory. And the lore...
0: Yeah, so there's a lot there. And then he just, like, backs away slowly with the creepiest...
1: Fades into the darkness. Okay,
0: but he does this thing where he, like, opens his eyes and, like, kind of has, like, a... Like, mouth shape. (laughs) But he doesn't do that. He's just, like, shaking his head, like... (laughs) Like, big, crazy eyes walking backwards, like, fear of little men. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> scurries backwards into the night with his fucking cart.
1: Creepy with a capital K.
0: Oh my goodness. So Charlie's like, okay, that was a lot. He heads back home and we see his grandparents are in bed because turns out that's where they've been for the past 20 years.
1: All four of his grandparents.
0: All four of them.
1: Let me just say, if you live a life without health care, you live impoverished and you are like a child with four grandparents. You better count those stars, baby.
0: We find out a lot about Charlie's background in less than 60 seconds. (laughs) Because we find out that these are both sets of the grandparents. They've been in bed and unable to help for the past 20 years. Which makes me wonder, like, how old the mom is? I don't know. Charlie's dad died. And Charlie has started working, selling papers. This is like a new development because they're like... Well, he shouldn't have to work. I know that he just got this job, but he shouldn't have to work. He works so hard around here and then also after school. And Grandpa Joe is like, as soon as I can get out of this bed. I'm like, you have lived for 20 years in this bed. I feel like 20 years was just a number that they slapped on. Too much. Too far. Too far. Give me like a five year. Give me like a five year.
1: Seven, even 10 if you're feeling really generous. Maybe
0: 10. But like, I think a five 20? year of like 20, 20 years, years in bed, you and I are 28 years old. That means that no. when we were eight years old, these people were in bed and now today they are still in bed.
1: No, you'd be dead.
0: As someone who used to work in the healthcare field, no bed sores are a thing that people can get after being in bed, like if they're not rotated frequently enough. Yeah,
1: I got bed sores after when we were in few- quarantine for COVID and that was only like four weeks.
0: And this can happen to people who can't really move on their own within a few days. So I'm like 20 how? years? I'm like 20 years in the same bed. You have like no muscle nothing i just Ugh. i have so and many you opinions just, about this
1: you just know it stinks
0: to high heaven oh. because i'm like okay so do you get up to use the bathroom they have
1: to they must they have to they have to they have to they have to look me in the eye they have to but did
0: you see those uh, pots underneath the bed
1: i certainly didn't and neither did you they get up to use the bathroom
0: <laughs> okay
1: binny ann look me in the eye <laughs>
0: First and middle name, okay. They get
1: out of that bed to go to the bathroom. Okay. In another room. Okay,
0: (laughs) they get out of bed (laughs) to go to the bathroom. I don't think they do. Oh, Um... yes, they have to. They have to.
1: I won't accept it.
0: So, Charlie comes home and is super jazzy, enters the rank-filled room. (laughs) And because also, they're eating cabbage water.
1: Discoach disgusting not
0: cabbage soup which by the way I do enjoy good cabbage soup
1: my grandfather loves cabbage I hate it
0: a cabbage is a very German thing I, just a, oh, just I can't a do fit. it
1: I hate cabbage
0: I do enjoy me some cooked cabbage
1: I can do cabbage in like a slaw if it's in do like you
0: like a stuffed have you ever had like a stuffed cabbage uh yeah like cabbage leaves like yeah the i don't i don't mind it. that
1: i don't mind like a stuffed cabbage i don't mind cabbage in like a spring roll or like a like an egg roll i don't mind that in like some asian flavors and asian cooking i just think cabbage generally speaking is like stinky crunchy water
0: you added the cabbage stink to the stink of whatever this room's got <laughs> going on ew turns out charlie with his paycheck bought a loaf of bread stunning loaf of bread by the way
1: very pretty i'm um,
0: very pretty and they're like oh we're gonna have a feast charlie gives some of his money the rest of his money to his mom except a tiny little bit that he gives to his grandpa joe because he's like i'm gonna be paying for your tobacco from now on and grandpa joe's like listen if we think that bread is a luxury i'm gonna go ahead and quit tobacco
1: and that's very mature of you, Grandpa Joe. It's
0: very mature of him, and I'm like, okay, well, you've been seeing what's been going on. Yeah. I wonder, like, how long they've been this impoverished. Yeah. Because maybe did they it take haven't you until just been... now
1: to develop like a glimmer of conscience?
0: I feel like maybe like Charlie's dad died a year or two. I mean, before when was the, this,
1: when was the Vietnam War? Sixties. Could he have been like a war casualty?
0: Seventies. I don't, maybe.
1: I don't know. Maybe. I mean, they don't mention it, it, so. Because it would
0: make sense as to why.
1: I wonder if that answer's in the book. Hmm. I bet it is. I bet if we look hard enough, we can find it. Probably. I'm not going to do it now. We'll we'll just wonder, but.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Grandpa's like, "Mm, I'm going to give it up. And Charlie's like, no, I want to pay for it. And a part of me is like, do you want to pay for it? Because hopefully your grandfather will smoke himself to death. Like, what's. (laughs) And the mom was like, it's just a little luxury. And he's like. We can't afford bread. (laughs) When bread is a luxury item and we're eating cabbage water, not cabbage soup.
1: No, it's water. Cabbage
0: water is what they call it.
1: It's time to give up the ghost.
0: Time to 86. They're like, it's only one pipe a day. And he's like, I'm going to go ahead and just give it up, guys. Stop fighting me on this. No,
1: don't be a hero.
0: People end up going to bed. Charlie stays up and is talking to Grandpa Joe and is like, hey, so I was walking past Wonka's chocolate factory. What's the deal with that? Because I had this creepy man in the dark come up to me and say, (laughs) no one's been going in or out. And so Grandpa Joe informs him that a number of years ago, Wonka locked it down because Slugworth, who was his rival, kept trying to send workers in to steal his secrets. So Grandpa Joe's like, yeah, he locked it down. And then all of a sudden, three years after he locked it down, the factory started up again, like full force. We don't know what happened. We don't see people going in and out. He has to have thousands of people in there, though, doing work. But no one knows anything.
1: Dark and mysterious.
0: Flip to the next day. Charlie's in school.
1: With the most miserable teacher, the most
0: fucking wackadoo teacher that I've ever clearly seen clearly wishes he life. was
1: doing anything else anything in the else. whole world. So
0: he's talking about this mixture that's supposed to like get rid of blisters, and he's like, "Okay, if you pour these elements together in the exact same amounts, you will get this medicine. If you don't, it will explode." Charlie, come up here. Uh, no. And then Charlie goes up there and is like, "Yeah." And then he starts, like, kind of berating him a little bit. And I'm like. He's a
1: bad teacher. I was like,
0: okay, well, Charlie wasn't, like, not paying attention or, you know, whatever. You just called him up here and decided to be a dick. And he's like, all right, we're going to pour these three ingredients in and they have to be precise. And I'm like,
1: he's like actively trying to blow a child up.
0: I'm like, you're just dumping things. You didn't measure. No. Why aren't you measuring? Because he's actively trying to
1: kill children. (laughs)
0: There were actual like Erlenmeyer flasks sitting there that they could have used to measure out it. Because they need the same exact amount to dump in. If No safety goggles, nothing?
1: No, because the in- you're not listening. But the then- intent is to kill a child. Listen. <laughs> this teacher's miserable. He wants out of his job. And the only way to do it is to eliminate the students.
0: He could just leave.
1: No, he can't.
0: He needs to blow them up. <laughs> going to blow them up. So um, we have a child, because there's ruckus going on outside. And this random kid, the teacher goes over and is like, Hey, what's going on out here? The kid's like... Didn't you hear? Wonka says that there's five golden tickets in chocolate bars, <laughs> and whoever finds them gets a lifetime supply of chocolate.
1: It's very forwardly expositional.
0: It's, okay, as very long as like I took... Very much
1: like, what's going on? Oh, you haven't heard the premise of the film? Let me... <laughs>
0: And it's this one kid that we saw earlier in the candy store. And then after this, we never see him again. He's got like one
1: line in the candy shop and then he's got this little bit and then then he's gone.
0: So the teacher decides to dismiss the students for them to go buy chocolate. And he's going to finally like also the big other big thing is that Wonka's going to open up the chocolate factory.
1: Yeah. So if you win, if you get a a golden ticket, then you get like access to the chocolate factory and then one of those five kids wins a lifetime supply of chocolate. And just so we're clear, a lifetime supply, like, never ever means a lifetime supply. Like,
0: however, until you die, you get chocolate? It doesn't
1: mean that you get unlimited chocolate till you die. It means that you get, like, if you were to win, like, a lifetime supply of hot dogs, you would win, like, whatever the normal amount of hot dogs is a day. Like, let's say, like, one for every meal. You win three hot dogs a day, every day for the next 20 years.
0: It's so many hot dogs.
1: It is so many hot dogs, but it's a finite number.
0: Did you know that Betty White ate a hot dog every single day?
1: Good for her. And you know, she lived until...
0: Almost 100.
1: So I don't want to hear it from anybody. Yeah. But a lifetime supply is indeed a finite number, just so we're clear.
0: So we see that like chaos ensues around all of this.
1: Around the world.
0: Around the world, because it's not just in America. It's international. So the first ticket is found... In Düsselheim, Germany,
1: It is really weird to see the news coverage of this because they have like cuts back and forth to news anchors delivering the news yep for for all of these kids as they find their tickets. it's really weird to see news anchors like presenting news and delivering headlines in like a not life-altering way about it's about like a frivolous candy contest and not like the fall a global
0: pandemic. Right. It's not
1: about like the fall of a hey! of a global superpower. Like it's it makes our reality feel really apocalyptic.
0: <laughs> well
1: it freaks me out. Well.
0: Um, so the first kid who found it was Augustus Gloop, and he is sitting there eating food.
1: Stuff in his face. And
0: just holfing it down. He's like, I'm hungry.
1: So I guess the bulk of our main characters are meant to represent the seven deadly sins or at least it's a fan theory that they do
0: so i could see it though
1: i will as we meet all of these kids i'm gonna gonna go ahead and assign them the deadly sin that we think that they have augustus gloop is obviously gluttony
0: and while he's wolfing it down we see this creepy man with a scar coming over talking to him None of the adults, he's literally on TV right now and none of the adults are clocking. No one
1: stops him. There was no like security at all. Again, it was just like, I think it was just the way we treated adults. Like we just generally assumed that adults didn't mean any harm to children they didn't know.
0: One ticket down, four to go. Fast forward, it's Charlie's birthday. Yay, Charlie. Um, He gets a scarf that his mom and grandmothers knitted. The grandpas came together and bought him a chocolate bar. It's not one of the actual Wonka chocolate bars. It's some other kind of Wonka candy.
1: Yeah, it's like some kind of whoopie pie looking thing.
0: Yeah, I thought that the golden tickets were only in the actual like original chocolate bars.
1: They are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Every single one we find is in An actual Wonka chocolate bar. Right. Not a scrumdiddlyumptious bar, not a weird whoopie pie thing.
0: Right, which is why I'm like, you bought this thinking that he could possibly win a golden ticket. You fools. But you didn't buy the right thing. You
1: fools.
0: And so they're talking about that and Grandpa Joe is like, no, because he he deserves to go to the chocolate factory. He deserves this lifetime of chocolate.
1: He deserves it more than anybody else.
0: The second ticket is found by a factory worker in Veruca... Well,
1: now hold up. What? Because Charlie takes the time to open this chocolate bar in front of his grandparents, who are all hopeful that Charlie will win big and they'll get out of poverty. And Charlie opens it facing away from them. How would he get
0: out them. of poverty I don't... just possibly winning chocolate?
1: Don't overthink it. He opens this bar...
0: Gonna have chocolate water?
1: <laughs> yes. No more cabbage for us. Only chocolate till we die. God. He opens it and says, like, I, got, I found it. I got the, the golden ticket. And they're all like. <gasps> and then he goes, fooled ya.
0: He's like, yeah. Fuck
1: you, Charlie.
0: I guess, <laughs> I guess not. Uh, so. But yes,
1: then we, meet, then we meet the next child.
0: Then we meet Veruca Salt. Awful brat. Her dad owns a peanut plant and all of his workers shell peanuts and do stuff like all that. All day long. Um, so instead of doing that, they've stopped production and bought cases upon cases of chocolate bars. I think he says they've unwrapped over seven hundred fifty thousand.
1: It's in the thousands. Like they're churning out candy right now. Just yeah. digging for this. And he's golden like, ticket. I can't
0: make these people work faster. They are working so fast. Fun fact. So they had to have all these chocolate bars. They're just tables and tables and tables lined up of these open chocolate bars, but it's not actually chocolate bars. That's wood. Oh, okay. Neat. Wood with the wrappers. Cause they thought, cause typically you would get a, the chocolate bar, right? From some company, but then you'd have to repackage it. Right. So they're like, well, to save money. And also, so we don't have just mounds of chocolate everywhere.
1: Right. And chocolate that could
0: melt. I was going to could... say, that's the
1: thing when you have food on set is you have to be careful about like food preparation and food care.
0: So they just, they used wood.
1: That's much smarter.
0: So one of the workers finds a golden ticket for Veruca and she's like, it's about time. And she's from England. So the creepy man shows up again The creepy man with a scar is like talking to her and I'm like And just grabs
1: her by the arm and whispers to her I'm
0: like how in the hell did you get into the they're in a factory This isn't even like just on the street or in a restaurant like these other people. How?
1: Veruca of course represents greed.
0: Because she's always like, It's mine, I want it, buy it for me.
1: I I want the I want the golden ticket, Daddy, and he gets it.
0: At such a cost. But anyway. (laughs) Then we flash to, this is one of those comedy scenes that we get.
1: Oh, one of the short segments you mentioned earlier? Yes.
0: So it's this group of men talking to this scientist and he's like, I think you guys have put your money into a really brilliant project. We finished it. This computer based off of like analytics and this, that, and the other thing um, can pinpoint the location of the last three tickets. And so he's like, by punching in this code, it will spit out the answer and tell me. And the computer is just like, I won't tell you, that'd be cheating.
1: And then he offers to like split the money with the machine. And the machine's like, like the, what would I do with a lifetime supply of chocolate?
0: What would I do? And he's like, I'm going to tell you what you can do with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, didn't, I,
1: just, I didn't get that joke as a child.
0: No. No. Oh god no. I
1: got it this time around. It's really Watch funny. Watch this
0: movie as a full blown adult.
1: Yeah, there's lots of little quips and, and pieces in there that are like just hysterical.
0: There's there's a lot in here that is so funny, especially some stuff that Gene Wilder does. Like a lot of his stuff was lost on me as a child.
1: Yeah, but now it's really it was funny. It's very
0: funny. So even this computer would not give up the locale of where the other...
1: No uh, other cheating.
0: Were. No there. cheating. The third ticket was found by the Violet Beauregard in Miles City, Montana. Turns out she's a, a chewing gum kind of gal, and that plays a role later. And she talks about how she's been chewing on this singular piece of gum for three months.
1: Yeah, she's very, she's <sighs> very proud of her accomplishments.
0: How disgusting. And yeah. She like sticks it behind her ear. Ew.
1: And she takes. I know. I never stuck gum behind my ear. I think that's super gross.
0: No, if I wanted to keep a piece of gum, I'd like stick it on my plate and then take it off after. Or like the or... Uh,
1: like the lip of a water bottle, or like a straw, or something. Yeah. You don't stick it behind your ear, you filthy little gremlin.
0: And then she's like talking shit to her quote unquote friend.
1: Yeah, she like calls her out on live TV because Violet represents pride.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the kids' deadly sins kind of jump right out to the front.
0: Yeah, they're, they're very, obnoxious. They're
1: very blatant, yeah.
0: And then poof, we see the creepy guy again.
1: Yeah, there he is. Just, again, just right in her ear whispering, scar present and everything. Creepy, creepy dude. Creepy. On TV.
0: On TV, again.
1: Come on, my guy. Have some discretion.
0: Exactly. So then Mom and Charlie have this conversation about luck.
1: Right, Mom's at work.
0: And he was, like, heading home, and he was like... Hey, I just thought I'd tell you that the third ticket was found.
1: Just thought you'd like want to know you seemed interested.
0: And she's like, I'm not interested. And he's like, I don't know how you're not. Everyone is. And she's like, well, because it's not going to happen for us. It doesn't matter
1: to us. She does laundry for a living. Yeah. And as someone who does laundry as like part of my job running a costume shop, I could never do just laundry professionally. No. It's such a wet job.
0: And especially the way they had to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just, with like, just like steaming barrels of water.
0: Blip. You can tell
1: she's just like frizzed out to all all hell. And like, mm-hmm. it's such an uncomfortable work environment because everything is constantly damp. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I, hate blah, blah, blah. I could never. Yeah.
0: So mom and Charlie have a really great conversation about luck and the ticket. And she's like, you know, Charlie, it's not a big deal. We probably won't win it. I don't want you to get your hopes up because that's not... You have to look at how many people there are in the world. These chocolate bars went all over the world. There's only two tickets left. The likelihood of you getting a ticket slim to none. It's impossible. And she's like...
1: Because we can't afford hundreds of candy bars.
0: No, we can't even afford to get you another one.
1: Right, we could barely afford the one that wasn't even a Wonka bar for your birthday.
0: Exactly. He heads home and he's kind of like upset... She sings Cheer Up Charlie. I love this song. It's so sweet. A, a stunning voice. It is really lovely.
1: And at the perfect time, too, because you're just beginning to hanker for another musical number.
0: Definitely. And
1: you get this really, like, touching, sincere one. hmm It's so nice. And it's nice to have a ballad this early in a film, too. It's something we don't always get right off the top.
0: Yeah, typically not. It's um, a very
1: sweet tender song
0: it's beautiful her mouth does not line up with the words <laughs> that is a thing it, there's a few sections where it doesn't and there's some that do that's something that happens several times throughout this film it happens a lot with older films which makes sense it just it's just one of those things that i was like Ooh. <laughs> fourth ticket gone mike tv mike tv from marble falls arizona what a little shit Terrible. There's a TV newscaster in their home, and he is like, "No, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm watching TV." He doesn't
1: make eye contact with the interviewer. He doesn't get up off the couch. They're literally interviewing him on the couch.
0: And the mom is like so proud about the fact that he doesn't. He's never eaten at the table. She brings all of his TV dinners right to him right here on the couch.
1: Yeah, because Mike TV represents sloth. Sloth. Yeah, it's like laziness or lack of ambition.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. He also makes comment about how he wants a Colt forty five, And his dad's like, ha ha. And he's like, not till I'm older, right, dad? And he's like, you're right, sport. You have to be 12. 12 years old? Now, I will say that did I get a rifle for my 13th birthday? Yes, I did.
1: You'll shoot your eye out.
0: But at that time I had already taken hunter safety it was a rifle not a fucking handgun
1: and if you think mike tv has taken a, a safety course of any kind i think you are sadly mistaken yeah, I, <laughs> but mike tv is also the caricature of an american like the cowboy who loves guns very very lazy like it also lends itself to the sloth characterization like he's a right. cari- he's a caricature
0: right no exactly we see we see that and he's like yeah, whatever, I'm going to go with this thing, yeah, sure.
1: And one of the interviewers in the room with him
0: is the creepy Scarface guy.
1: Just right there. And
0: he's, like, flipping a mic back and forth between the interviewer and Mike TV, except he does it where, like, When Mike is talking, the mic is pointed at the interviewer. And when the interviewer is talking, it's pointed at Mike.
1: It's a little detail, but like, he's clearly not there to do a job. He's there to 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 talk to Mike.
0: He's there to be creepy. Right. Flash forward. We see Charlie talking to Grandpa Joe and Grandpa Joe's like, guess what? I bought another chocolate bar. Charlie's like, what?
1: We have another. That chance. money
0: was supposed to be for your tobacco, and he's like, "Will you shut the fuck up about my goddamn tobacco?" <laughs> I'm going. I bought this chocolate bar. Which end should we open? They open it. There's no ticket. Grandpa it's chocolate. Is... Grandpa's really upset, and Charlie is always looking at the bright side. This kid. He's like, "We still get to have a ch- whole chocolate bar, though." It's true. He's like, yeah, sure. There was no ticket.
1: But like a whole bar of chocolate is still a treat for us. We had cabbage water yesterday.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We only eat cabbage water and bread is a luxury. This chocolate bar is like having solid gold. (laughs) And then from here, we see a couple more of those weird little scenelets. Uh, We see that the last box of Wonka bars in all of England is selling at auction for like thousands of pounds We have this weird scene where some woman's husband was kidnapped and there's an FBI agent tapping the phone lines and she's like, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Just like screaming, crying. He's like, they'll swap them. If you give them your your chocolate bars, your case of chocolate bars. And then she stops and she's like, how long will they have for me to think on it? And he's like, this is for your husband's life. And she's like,
1: I got to think it over.
0: <laughs> um, so there was actually one that was cut. Oh, really? That was supposed to be in here. And it was supposed to be of this man climbing to the top of this mountain to find a guru. Okay. And he asked the guru, what is the meaning of life? He's like, I will tell you for one Wonka bar. And gives him a <laughs> Wonka bar and he opens it. And then he says, life is about disappointment. There's no <laughs> so the director thought it was absolutely hilarious it did not test well
1: oh i think that's hysterical it
0: didn't test well because and i think this is also showing how comedy has changed over the years one of the guys that was like a producer was like dude the reason that this didn't go well is because for most people life is disappointing
1: well, at the time, yeah.
0: But the the kicker is, is like, now that's also true, but we laugh about it. It's like that weird sort of dark comedy thing. <laughs> oh, that, like, Yeah, that like really has dived into like millennials. You're right. And like is like going even more so with yeah. like Gen Z and Gen Alpha. You know what I'm saying? So I think that if that was put in there now, just would lose it. <laughs> It'd be so funny. But at the time they're like... No, it's too No, real. guys, life
1: kind of sucks for a lot of folks right now. So I yeah. get it.
0: And then we find out, oh no, the fifth ticket was found in Paraguay.
1: Well, fine. It's over. Rest Charlie, in peace, everybody.
0: Charlie is really upset, truly devastated about this. He really wanted it. They find out and they're like, we have to, should we wake Charlie and tell him? They're like, no, we should let him be able to dream for another night. Oh, turns out Charlie was awake this whole time and heard everything. Yeah, that's very sad. Um, He goes to school with that weird frickin wackadoo teacher again. And this teacher is teaching them about percentages today and using the Wonka bars as like a teaching tool of like, okay, so like, let's say you had like a 1000 Wonka bars and you opened a 100. This is what the percentage would be and kind of like going down that.
1: Yeah, 100, well. 150. And then he asks Charlie how many bars he opened, and he was like, two. two. He goes, ah, fine, 200 out of 1,000. And Charlie goes, no,
0: just, just two. two.
1: Yeah. And the teacher goes, well, I'm going to make a 200 because I can't figure out just two.
0: In my head. <laughs> and he like gets mad at Charlie, like, he you little shit. He doesn't
1: even say in his head. He just says, I can't figure out just two.
0: Yeah, he's Sir. like, I can't.
1: Retire. How dare you? Get out of this line of work immediately. And so
0: he yells at him. Charlie is walking home then from school and he finds money in a sewer grate.
1: Just on the street. Hmm. What luck.
0: Hmm. Luck.
1: There's actually an Easter egg too that you can see the, the creepy Scarface dude like in the background of one of the scenes when he picks up that money.
0: Oh really? Yeah. <gasps>
1: it's speculative because you don't see like his face, but like you can you can see a figure like in the background.
0: So he finds this money and he goes into the candy shop and buys...
1: A scrumdiddlyumptious umptious bar. Yes. And he goes ham on that the fucking chocolate that bar. The way he's
0: wolfing that down, it is uncomfortable. Because I'm like, you're not even... You're not even eating this. What is happening? I well, think you're going to choke.
1: Can I reveal to you what Charlie's uh, deadly sin is?
0: Oh God, what?
1: It's lust. Not in a sexual way, he just... He wants things, and he wants them voraciously. There's overlap with all deadly sins, and some Which argue could that be this
0: because there's that thing where, with him and Grandpa Joe, how he is like, but I want it. I want it more than anyone in the world. Talking about the golden ticket, exactly. He's like, I and want he, this.
1: He has a couple of points where he he phrases things like that, where he really wants it. He wants it more than anything else, and like the way that he wolfs it on this chocolate bar is very evident. So Charlie gets assigned lust.
0: All right, okay.
1: But he wolfs down this bar and then he decides he's going to buy another one. The candy man suggests, "Why not a traditional Wonka bar this time? Here you go, kiddo."
0: As he's exiting the candy shop, he finds out that the golden ticket in Paraguay was a lie.
1: It was a fake.
0: And so Charlie goes into this little corner thing by a door and opens up this chocolate bar.
1: Right, because all at once he has a he has a Wonka bar in his hand and he's just heard that there's still a golden ticket.
0: There's a chance.
1: The hope is alive again.
0: All of this makes me wonder if the creepy dude with the scar, what if he went into the candy store and was like, hey, give this bar of chocolate to this blonde-haired child that's going to come in here.
1: It is long suspected that the candy man works for Willy Wonka.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, hello. Um, You'll notice
1: he doesn't sing a song at the top of the movie about any of the other candy makers mentioned in the film.
0: You're right. But (laughs) also, on top of all of this... Any of the other times that Charlie has had a Wonka candy bar, uh, someone else has bought it. It hasn't been him. You're right. So this is the first time that he himself physically goes into the store to buy it. You are correct. So that's what I'm saying about that. Um, (laughs) So Charlie has a golden ticket. He found it.
1: He fucking found it. He
0: found it. So freaking jazzed. I was like, God damn, how long is the beginning of this film? Yeah. (laughs) When does he find this ticket? So he finds a ticket and then this woman sees him and is like, oh my god, the boy found it. All of these adults come running at him. They and are descend
1: wanting... upon Charlie like a horde.
0: At least they're not trying to steal the ticket. No. They're just wanting to visibly see it. But still, it's like you are pushing this child around in this mob.
1: And thank goodness Charlie has his newspaper stand friend, this adult who like sold him papers. Yeah, Because he like swoops in and kind of like rescues him. And he's like, run, Charlie, go run. I'll get you out of the mob. Go be free.
0: Run and don't stop until you get home. Because he's like, I know how people work. You get your fucking ass home because. And
1: he does. He takes right the fuck off.
0: He ends up walking down the sketch alleyway thing. And the creepy guy with the scar is there. Telling him he's like, I am (gasps) Slugworth.
1: Which is the other candy maker.
0: The guy who, the whole reason why Wonka locked down his factory in the first place. Yeah,
1: yeah. His name's also on several other candy bars inside the, the Candyman's shop.
0: Yes. Yep. Because he, when he asked Charlie what he wants, he's like, oh, do you want a Slugworth blah, blah, blah? Do you want a Wonka da, 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 whatever?
1: Right. So he's the other candy maker and he offers Charlie, to, it's like $10,000, I think.
0: It's $10,000. All um, he has to
1: do is bring back an, ever, an everlasting gobstopper.
0: Yeah, he's just like, like that. Actually, yeah, just like that.
1: Yeah, about Austin <laughs> Gobstop. He's
0: like, this $10,000 will really do something for your family. Change
1: your whole fucking life, kiddo.
0: Just saying. And
1: then he disappears into, into the ether. It's really quick.
0: I feel like he had to have offered each kid something different.
1: He must have, because, like, because you made the good point. Veruca Salt wouldn't shake a stick at $10,000. No. She
0: so it wouldn't. must
1: have been, they must have been equitable offerings for each kid you know whether that's money fame power whatever it is exactly like playing to their to their sin i would imagine mm-hmm. although mm-hmm. i maybe it's in the book somewhere we will, I, we don't know
0: right Who knows? um so charlie gets home and he's like oh my god guys i have a ticket the one in paraguay was a fake and then Grandpa Joe starts to read it, and the factory thing is happening October 1st.
1: It's literally which tomorrow. Which is
0: literally the next day. Charlie's like, Grandpa Joe, can you please come with me? And Grandpa I Joe's like... I get to like, bring
1: one other guest.
0: And I'm like, couldn't have brought your hardworking mom?
1: Couldn't give mom a day off to go to the chocolate factory? I know
0: there's a reason.
1: Right. I get I mean, it. I know there's it. a reason. Still.
0: But like, Grandpa Joe really... Now Grandpa Joe can walk, and he can soft shoe, and he, he
1: can... <laughs> he's healed.
0: He's healed. Uh, he
1: can soft shoe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he does that at one point during this next number. You're right, so, he does. So <laughs> he sings, I've got a golden ticket, which I'm like, your grandson has a golden ticket. You are going along for the ride.
1: So we're still two deadly sins short. Do you want to hear where they go?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what's so what's up? So the what's last two one?
1: are Envy and Wrath.
0: Oh. Uh...
1: Grandpa Joe is assigned Envy.
0: I'm guessing we'll get to Wrath later.
1: We will. I'll, I'll tell you who it is right now, but we'll get to it when we get to it. So Grandpa Joe is assigned Envy because he does sing I've Got a Golden Ticket. He sings a whole song from his perspective. He does not have a golden ticket. His grandson does. There's also another line later about like when they hand out the Everlasting Gobstoppers where Grandpa Joe is like, Charlie didn't get one. He has to have one. Charlie wants one too. And then there's another line right before they do the the fuzzy uh, the fizzy lifting drinks thing mm-hmm. where Grandpa Joe says like everyone else broke rules. Why don't we get to? I forget what the actual line is, but like that's the sentiment. Uh,
0: so like we have means. all of
1: these instances of Grandpa Joe wanting what other people have or wanting to be able to do what other people do or something like that. So he gets assigned envy which leaves wrath and that one gets assigned to Willy Wonka himself.
0: <gasps>
1: Willy Wonka is accused of intentionally eliminating children as they venture through his chocolate factory in this movie and I'll mention it when we get to it but there's like actual evidence in the film that he's like kind of malicious about it.
0: Ooh, I'm excited about yeah. it. Okay, so we've got I've got a golden ticket. There's sections where Grandpa Joe definitely has like a slight Irish accent and I don't know what that is. Yeah. That's
1: about. <laughs> I wonder if the actor is Irish? <sighs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know anything about him.
0: Charlie only sings for like maybe a couple bars. Holy (laughs) absolute hell. Are you off key? A part of me also wonders like if Charlie was supposed to be singing it, but Charlie was such a crap singer that they were like, Grandpa Joe can sing it.
1: I mean, it would make sense with the way it's written, but...
0: But also...
1: There's a reason Charlie went on to become a veterinarian.
0: Well... (laughs) So after all of this is said and done, Charlie does tell Grandpa about Slugworth and the 10 grand. Boom. Next day, we're outside the Wonka factory. We get one of the most iconic things from this whole film.
1: We see all of the children there with their parents bury me in Veruca Salt's white, white mink coat. Just stunning. Oh, it's so pretty. Every man She says
0: later that she has three more at home. I
1: know. God, end me. Every old man in the crowd here looks like Joe Biden. They are. They might as well be.
0: Joe Biden had to have been about that old uh, in 1971.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Christ, I hate it here. I do want to say as we get to the entrance of Willy Wonka, Mm -hmm. this iconic, iconic moment, I'm obsessed with the aesthetic of this character with like the purple floral vest and the purple velvet jacket, the chocolate covered hat. Uh, It's just... It's so unique and perfect. It's just perfect.
0: And what's interesting about that... Okay, so I'll tell this thing and then I'll...
1: Please do, please do.
0: Okay, so we finally... We see Wonka. He comes out. Everybody is standing there and is like just gobsmacked in awe.
1: Well, no one's seen him in...
0: We don't even know Who knows how how long. We don't even know how long because he like locked the factory down, was gone for three years... And then the factory started up again and has been going for presumably several years more. So we have no idea the timeline and how long this is, how old Wonka is or anything. So he comes out and he is limping with a cane. The cane this whole time looks like it's about to snap. He's like really actually leaning on this cane. The bend that happens to the cane. (laughs) I'm like, oh, it's gonna snap. At one point, the cane gets stuck in the cobblestones And he takes a a step forward and then he realizes that his cane isn't with him. And he does a forward roll and jumps back up and everybody's like, oh my god, yay!
1: And this was Gene Wilder's idea, this entrance. It
0: was. So actually when he auditioned, he said that this needed to be his entrance. And the reason behind that, this is a subtle way to show the audience right off the bat that Wonka is putting on a facade, is not really trustworthy from the moment he steps on screen. Because he faked everybody out. And another thing is, they didn't tell anyone what his entrance was going to be.
1: Right, it was a secret.
0: There were several things in this film that were actually a secret. Yeah. One of them, which I'll talk about, I'm like, there was a choice. Is it the boat? Yeah. Um, Oh,
1: I have big opinions on the boat.
0: Yep. (laughs) So, Gene was so specific And how he wanted everything. He actually was the one who said, like, how he wanted the suit cut. The fact that they came to him with a hat and he's like, you know what would just make this hat spectacular? If you made it two inches shorter. Like, that's how...
1: But it takes strong collaborators like that with Vision to bring life to these kinds of things.
0: Exactly. And he's like, this man needs to be... Because he's like, it can't be like a regular top hat size. It needs to be slightly different. The cut of his coat, how his lapels were like swoopy instead of like a typical line, like a straight line lapel. All of these little things he collaborated on. He needs to look really different from everybody else.
1: But it has to be intentional and pointed at something. And Helen Kolvig is the woman who did the costuming on this. She did a ton of stuff at the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s. She was the same costume designer who did Psycho. Ooh-hoo. So she has, really, she has a really prolific filmography and it's just crammed full of work like she did a ton of stuff in that small window and the fact that she was able to collaborate with gene wilder on this project i think her brilliance plus his intention with the character Mm -hmm. makes for one of the most visually iconic characters maybe in all of film
0: And then he welcomes them in, talks to everybody that's going on the tour, shuts the door behind them, and waves at everyone goodbye, and they head in. So we enter in, and we get to see these really cool hooks That that are actually hands.
1: Yeah, prehensile hands.
0: Yeah, and they grab things. Prehensile Those are so cool. Really neat. So cool.
1: It reminds me of the the candelabra, the arm thing in In the hallway from Phantom, which is a reference to something else French. I forget what the name of that reference was. but Maybe it's all a reference. I mean, I think it is. I think it's just a recurring thing in film.
0: Interesting. So before they can actually enter the chocolate factory, they need to sign a document.
1: Just in case the factory kills you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, and the some of the parents are like, literally, no, no. We're
1: gonna we're gonna go ahead and run that by a lawyer first.
0: Um, and he's like, fine. You literally get today to do this, and the kids are like, fuck you, parents. We're I'm gonna, gonna sign ahead it. Sign. I um, had a question
1: for you. Yeah, because minors can't legally sign like legally binding documents, right? No, but like they have caretakers there as witnesses. Does that make a difference?
0: The witnesses would. Also have to sign something saying that they witnessed it.
1: Okay, that's what I thought. But there's
0: there's certain documents that like when you're like seventeen, there's some school documents and stuff that like sure and like hospital documents that you sign as the patient, but your parent or gar- guardian also has to sign, acknowledge like an
1: undersigning kind of thing. yeah, like
0: a uh, okay they sign so they're cool. But legally, I need to sign off on this, too, because I'm their parent or guardian. Sure. So that's... Sketchy. It's interesting. And also, I see how Grandpa Joe is very... Charlie's like, should I sign it? Grandpa Joe's like, yes!
1: (laughs) Everyone else did. You have to.
0: You have to. Um, Envy, envy, envy. mm -hmm. So they end up going into this room, which is just like this tiny little weird room that Wonka's, like, looking for the door for. And he's like, oh, I know that door is around here somewhere. And they're just, like, constantly bumping into each other and rotating he walks, and all that. Yeah, he stuff.
1: walks the entire length of the hallway and then comes back the length of the hallway to the same door.
0: And they're like, Wonka, we literally just came out of that. And he's like, did we? Boom. Opens it. Hallway. So they're like, what? In the fun house? <laughs> and he's like, oh, are we having fun?
1: It's so dry.
0: It's so dry. <laughs> this leads to a forced perspective hallway, which is so cool.
1: It's a super cool practical effect.
0: And they get to this door and there's a musical lock.
1: <laughs> which I get such a kick out of.
0: He plays a little ditty and the, it unlocks, right?
1: And my TV's mom goes, Rachmaninoff. And I cackle every time. I don't, it's so off the cuff and flippant. I just, this tickles one? me pink. Rachmaninoff. <laughs> <laughs> like. Like it was some kind of secret contest that like...
0: Like, mm, I know that one. <laughs> so they enter the chocolate room. They didn't tell people things.
1: Yeah, this was like the, like the kids' like genuine reaction, right? Because they hadn't seen the room.
0: Except for one. Who? There was one child that got to see it beforehand. Which one? It was the actress who played Veruca.
1: Okay. Which
0: is very funny to me because Varuka's the one who's always like, I want it. I get it first. I get to be there first. And she was and she the did. one who got to see it first. <laughs> I don't know why she did. I have maybe no it was idea. yeah, it was
1: probably just like a production day fluke.
0: They worked so hard to make sure that no one saw the building of this, that no one saw any of the props that went into this room. Like Sure,
1: because you want that breathtaking moment and it is so cool.
0: Yeah. So you enter in, it reminded me, of course, a lot like...
1: The reveal in Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much that.
0: It's very very that. We get pure imagination.
1: This song is is bliss.
0: I hadn't watched this movie since I was a kid. There's a lot of humor of Wilder's that went straight over my head when I was a right. kid. There's a lot of short, quick little lines, which is just what he's known for. He'll be like leading them in this song down steps and like putting his cane out to stop people. And it's very aggressive. And then they're like walking down. He'll stomp his cane in front of someone to stop them. Well, but like this song is all light and beautiful. I mean, it's just, But in it's such juxtaposition to the way that he sounds is the way that he's acting.
1: Well, he's wrath.
0: So I mean, not to
1: lean too hard on this seven deadly sins theory, but like it's it's really there.
0: It's a really good theory. It really is. It's really quite present. So we get to see people like run all around. We find out that everything in there is edible. Everything
1: in the room. What would you eat first?
0: I really would love to taste one of those mushrooms.
1: Okay, cool. The mushroom was on my list too. Really? I want to eat like some of the cream out of the top of it that Mike TV's mom gets all into. Mm -hmm. I also really want to bite into one of those giant gummy bears. And lucky for me, giant gummy bears exist in our reality. So I could like actually get one and eat one.
0: I think another another thing for me would be the buttercup teacup.
1: That's on my list too. Yes. I want to munch into it. It sounds crunchy and delicious.
0: So in real life... Actually, one third of that set was edible.
1: Yeah, a lot of it is. Which is a lot. I mean, two thirds of it is practical stuff. Painted balloons, painted beach balls... Um, but the
0: fact that, like, they didn't just make the couple things that people ate edible. One third of the right, entire freaking room was edible. It's absolutely
1: edible. stuff that people didn't put in their mouths.
0: The gummy bear. Most of that actually was not edible. The only thing on that gummy bear that was edible was the ears. So everything else was Which just Which is like, the
1: part I want to bite the most. Wow. Well, you <laughs> go.
0: The buttercup teacup, Wonka singing, he sits down and he picks one and so it looks like a flower and then it's like Right, a it's teacup. like shaped like a
1: tulip, but it's a teacup and it's full of something or other.
0: And then he takes a bite. So fun fact, those were made out of wax. I know. So he'd have to like spit it out after each take. I would
1: still do it though. You I'm a sucker for those like those like wax bottles that are full of like juices, you know what I'm talking mm, about? You yep, like yep, bite yep, the yep, top yep, of yep. the of the pop bottle off and then you like chew on the wax while you drink the juice. Yep. I'm a sucker for those. So I'll take a wax cup. I'm not afraid.
0: So the chocolate river, he says, he talks about the fact that he has this chocolate river. It's very specific in how it churns the chocolate. Right. That's how. Churns it by gonna waterfall. It, if you're going to do it, you have to do it right. That was just dyed water.
1: It's definitely not chocolate. You can tell that.
0: <laughs> so it's just dyed water. And I guess that it stunk so bad.
1: Oh, no. Because they
0: tried to add cocoa to it. <gasps>
1: oh, no. And it did
0: not go well.
1: I don't know if you guys have ever smelled like just wet cocoa powder.
0: It ain't cute.
1: No, because cocoa powder on its own is quite bitter. When something smells bitter, that's like truly a horrendous thing to put in your nose. And
0: that whole river.
1: Oh. So,
0: um. Rough. The actor who played Augustus said, it was dirty, stinking water. Well, he's right. That's what he said in an interview just like that. (laughs) He was like, it was gross. They added some other stuff to it to make it not smell. Eventually, like some certain salt thing and something else. But he was just, and I'm assuming that this kid did not actually drink it, just like lapping up dirty water. Then we see the oopaloompas for the first time.
1: Now let's talk about Oompa Loompas. Let's. So the original character design for the Oompa Loompas in the books, they were African pygmies. So, oh no, pygmies refers to a human subset, if you will, a human subspecies. It's usually on like an island or somewhere where like their biodiversity is isolated, where because they don't have any natural predators or any like super dangerous anything in their environment the human form over time gets smaller. You don't need to defend yourself against big critters, then you get smaller because it's more efficient. So you end up with pygmy races. The same thing can happen with giantism. It happens with all kinds of species, especially on islands. But the original character design was tiny black men. Eventually, the characterization was changed to tiny white people with golden hair. However, of the other similarities between Oompa Loompas and black slaves persists, They sing while they work, which was a traditional way of communication, especially in the fields when you could be brutalized for exchanging information with the other people you were working with. You communicated in song because it was a safe way of communicating with each other. Oompa Loompas communicate in song. They were rescued by a white man from this island. Like The story is that Wonka rescued them from these really big, scary predators on their island because they were pygmies, so they were defenseless. So Wonka, quote unquote, rescued them for their own good, which is a really similar rhetoric to how slaves were put on boats and brought here. It was for their own good or why they were colonized by the French, the Spanish, the English. Take your pick. It's rhetoric that's been used a lot against black and brown people. And lastly, they now work in a factory. They're paid in cocoa beans. Canonically, Oompa Loompas don't get money. There's a village that they live in. Like, they don't live in their own community. They live in a village that is, like, maintained by Wonka, and he pays them in beans. Roald Dahl has had a couple accusations like this over time, and the Oompa Loompas are no exception. It also really bothers me that they're not white people in the movie, that they're orange. Typically, in cinema, when we make people a color other than white, it's an allegory for race pretty much every time. Even in the remake, they're played by like one guy and he's, I think he's Indian.
0: I, I am unsure of, of his, uh, ethnicity. I am too, but I
1: do know it's not white. It bothers me. I don't love it.
0: They've got tons of questions about the Oompa Loompas and one of the dads asks Wonka questions and he just looks at him and says, sorry, all questions must be submitted into writing.
1: Again, it's that really quippy, quick-witted sense of humor.
0: A brilliant comedy. Because also what it does is anytime Wonka is met with some sort of question or some sort of thing that he doesn't want to deal with her answer, he says some weird fucking remark right, that gets he, him off the hook somehow. He brushes it
1: off. He circumvents the answer.
0: We see that Augustus is getting into the chocolate.
1: Then he gets really into the chocolate. Literally,
0: physically, <laughs> like, into the chocolate. And Wonka's like, don't, you will contaminate. All of my chocolate, You're gonna get ruin my filthy, river. grubby hands out of my chocolate, and then Wonka fully pushes him in.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's staged in a way where it looks like Wonka is stepping forward to help him, but like the minute-
0: He comes in contact with him is when he falls in.
1: Yep. It's very subtle.
0: And then they're like, Wonka, help him, and he's like, oh no.
1: No, stop, help.
0: And then all of a sudden he starts drowning, and people are like, he's gonna die, and he's like, well, the suction's got him now.
1: It's all I over from here.
0: Don't know. Mm-hmm. Again,
1: those little, those really like dry deadpan, like, no, stop, wait. Circles back to that wrath.
0: And then the... That
1: regardless of his like kind of shimmery Candyman aesthetic, that all of this is like sort of malicious and planned.
0: So Augustus gets sucked up into the tube and they're like, how much air does he have in there? What is going to happen to him? You know, asking all these questions and Wonka also says, "The suspense is torture. I hope it will last." <laughs> <laughs> he gets the vacuum pushes him through the rest of the tube, and by
1: Augustus, by
0: Augustus, Wonka takes this little flute thing, and that's what calls over uh, one of the Oompa Loompas, and is like, "Hey, can you take?" Mrs. Gloop to go get her son so that way he doesn't get boiled alive.
1: That would be so nice. Thank you.
0: Then they sing.
1: Their first Oompa.
0: I did not realize this, but there was a sing along section? Yes, there was. Then a boat appears.
1: The Wonkatania.
0: The Wonkatania. Oh
1: God, wake me when it's over.
0: Seriously, though, this in like the newer film, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp and all of that. So I hate that film.
1: I do too. I hate Tim Burton. I hate Johnny Depp.
0: I just, I don't enjoy it. And this movie has a lot more comedy in it.
1: It's a lot lighter tonally.
0: There's still some very dark underlying things.
1: Yeah, but it's at least masked behind. It's much more accurate to the, the, I feel like the message of the story because it's all, again, it's very like shiny wrappers, chocolate rivers, candy cane trees, but it's all sinister.
0: Very much so. Just
1: behind, just behind the wrapper. It's sinister.
0: The boat shows up. Speaking of
1: sinister and boats, the boat only has eight
0: seats.
1: (gasps) Wonka knew he was going to lose a kid and a parent before they got to the boat. Oh my gosh. He's wrath. I'm telling you.
0: So they get into this boat and they start heading down this tunnel. It gets so trippy so fast.
1: Yeah. And they like didn't warn anybody.
0: No, they didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell the adults. They didn't tell the kids. No. They didn't tell them what was going to be going on.
1: No. In fact, they were given their scripts, but they were given just their lines and like what the cues were for them. Yep. They didn't even have a full script for the scene. Nope. That's terrifying.
0: Because there's a lot of light flashing and there's gross imagery. Like we literally really watch, nasty stuff. We watch a chicken get its head cut off. Gnarly. And I'm just like, what the f? And I think what some of that imagery must have been was pulled from the minds of the characters.
1: Oh, certainly. Of like past certainly, horrors certainly, certainly. that they've
0: seen. Oh.
1: There's also the screaming of the poem that he does at the end of this boat ride. Mm -hmm. The directors didn't know that Gene Wilder was going to like escalate until he was screaming the poem at the top of his lungs. He didn't warn anybody. It was just like a decision they made one time and that's the take they ended up using. And it gets real wild real fast.
0: There's so much. I'm, I'm sure a lot of the things that Wonka says in this film, you could take apart and really analyze everything because a lot of it doesn't make contextual sense when you just hear it. Yeah. But I think that if you compiled stuff and really looked at the storyline, you'd be able to like really pull out a lot of stuff. Yeah.
1: And I think the poem that he recites too has like some foreshadowing in it.
0: It does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But um, you're, you're too busy worrying about the dead chicken on the side of the boat to hear it. Right. There's just a crazy chocolate man shouting in the dark as you cruise past cockroaches.
0: Well, and because of, because of all of this, it was ranked... Uh, 74th on Bravo's The 100 Scariest Movie Moments.
1: Uh, fucking yeah.
0: And that's, this isn't supposed to be a scary film.
1: Right, like, I bet the rest of them are all, like, horror Horror films. Horror (laughs) films? And And then there's fucking Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory.
0: 74th. So then they get to this inventing room, right? And they get to see a bunch of, like, different machines and weird things. And he's like, ah, here's an everlasting gobstopper.
1: (gasps) The everlasting gobstopper.
0: And gives one to each kid, which by the way, what a fun, weird little shape that it's I know. It's they remind me of that. Circle. Um,
1: they remind me of that weird, like geo shaped. Remember it was like different colors and each color had a number and it was just like, it was like eight or nine knobs on a ball Yeah, and it would like give you a color or a number and you had to bring that number upright. Yep. You remember that old toy? Yeah. That's what it looks like to me.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I I can definitely see that. So everybody gets a gobstopper except Charlie.
1: And of course, Grandpa Joe insists.
0: It's like, hey, you didn't give Charlie one. And he's like, ah, yes. Here, Charlie. He shows them this other thing, which is this gum machine that is supposed (laughs) to... But
1: first, they're still at the everlasting gobstopper machine. And Veruca's like, look, Violet has two. I want two. And then Violet turns to her and says, stop squawking, you twit.
0: And shows her that she only has one. And Wonka's like, one is all you will ever need. That's the whole fucking premise behind this piece of candy. You don't get two.
1: I love these shitty little kids being mean to each other.
0: Oh God! Yeah. I get a
1: kick out of it.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: But then Violet goes over to the bubble gum machine because gum is her thing,
0: right? So she's like, "I know what this is. This is gum." And you watch this like whole weird process. This is the machine that has the bees in it, so it like drop like gets drops of honey from yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it's there's, live. There's like, all these bees. like
1: there's all these weird cloches opening and closing, yep. like sucking flavors out of various foods.
0: And then this piece of gum is supposed to be a three course meal. So she starts chewing it
1: to the protest of Willy Wonka.
0: Yeah, Wonka's like...
1: No, stop. No, stop. I wouldn't.
0: Don't. I don't think you should eat that. Don't put that in your mouth. But he says it just like that. He doesn't, like, actually... No, he's
1: not like, no, wait, danger ahead. He's like, I wouldn't...
0: And so she chews it, and then as soon as it gets to the dessert... Violet! You're turning violet, Violet! An
1: an iconic line. Also, I'm obsessed with the practical effect of her turning into this blueberry.
0: It's stunning.
1: So she blows up into a blueberry... Yep. She fills with, as w- uh, Wonka tells us, juice. juice. And there's like a lighting effect as she slowly turns purple. And like, now we, I mean, we can kind of see through how they do it now in this yeah. film. Like it's fairly evident, but it's also like a really cool practical effect. The
0: fact that they were able to use the light to the point it's where really she clever grew to a thing. And then like, then her face was painted. Right, right. It. And um, her, uh, her costume done.
1: inflates and they have a dummy when they roll her out of the room. Like it's all, it's all very clearly practical effects, but like...
0: It's so cool. They're
1: strung together in a way that is really effective. And I just think that's really cool. I appreciate practical effects in a film.
0: So she goes off to get juiced. The dad is pissed. And Wonka's like, well, I mean, the blueberries. was blueberries. I can never get the blueberries right. It's always the dessert. It always messes up. And just is completely like 86ing this dad screaming at him.
1: Well, because you were warned. What do you want me to do about it? I told her not to. She did. And now there are consequences. Fucking deal with it. Your
0: kid's a shit. Go forth. Your daughter's going to go get juiced. So she heads out, they go to the walk past the room with the fizzy lifting drink, the bubble room. And everyone's like, please, please, Mr. Wonka show, like, let us sip this. And he's like, no, it's, it's not quite ready. I don't fully have everything done yet. And they decide they're all leaving the room except for Grandpa Joe and Charlie. Grandpa Joe's whole thing is like, we should try it. And Charlie's like, I don't think we should. Mr. Wonka said no. And he's like... Whatever. Everyone else is breaking rules. Which, by the way, not everyone else. They're still...
1: Right. You're still only halfway through.
0: There are still several kids that haven't broken any of the, their also, shits. Also, the other,
1: the other two kids who broke rules are, like, fucking dead now, Joe.
0: Yeah. I don't know where you <laughs> thought this was going. Um, so, they do that, and they're they, having a fun time. This bubble room is a thing of my fantasies.
1: Mine, too. I absolutely... I love bubbles. If
0: you don't do this you pro give it a whirl get you some bubble guns and just have a time it's fun bubbles are pretty bubble therapy that's what i'm here for they're filled with wonderment and joy and they're pretty and they float, and it's just childhood all <laughs> over again. I love bubbles. I do too. Anyway.
1: So Grandpa Joe and Charlie drink the fizzy lifting drinks. They start to float. They find out they can fly. Then they find out they can't stop flying, and they float all the way to the top of this room, which ends in a giant fan.
0: And they almost get chopped up.
1: Until they start...
0: And then Grandpa burps, burping. and then he's lowers, and it's like... Oh, okay. So you burp, Charlie, burp.
1: We have to expel the gas that we're full of right now. So they burp their way back down the room.
0: As they're heading down, there's a lot of bubbles in front of Grandpa Joe's face. And if you wouldn't really be looking, you wouldn't catch this. But the actor is clearly saying words, but just he's supposed out, Just to be talking
1: out loud. Just
0: actual, like his mouth is like talking- He's, but it sounds like he, but there's a sound blur of him burping. meant to be burping.
1: burping.
0: <laughs> and there's different times where neither one of them has their mouth open and it's the same burp sound that you hear with their <laughs> mouth open. It's just, yeah, yeah it's kind of, it's comical in that way.
1: My final um, opinion is I love bubbles and I hate burps.
0: We also then go see some geese.
1: Yeah. So Joe and Charlie catch up to the group and they're in this like egg laying room with all of these, Wonka calls them quadruple size geese. That's terrifying.
0: they're huge.
1: Geese are violent to begin with. If I geese met a quadru- are
0: very ju- very violent a
1: quadruple sized geese, that's like, what a goose the size of a horse?
0: Did you know that they hiss? Yeah, and they Did sound know they have like a teeth snake. Yeah, those geese are... have teeth the, and the teeth are genuinely terrifying.
1: Geese are scary. and if I ever met one quadru- quadruple sized a regular goose, I think nope. I would dive into the ocean never to return.
0: Yeah, which and they say that they're temperamental, which is why they have the uh, gathering system that they do, that it's just machinery, because he's not going st- right. to make Oompa Loompas stick their hands under there. and They will eat an Oompa Loompa. Yeah,
1: absolutely, they will. So the giant geese lay golden eggs, and then the golden eggs are weighed to decide if it's a good egg or a bad egg. This was something they invented for this movie. In the original book, it's uh, squirrels testing nuts to see if it's a good nut or a bad nut.
0: I wonder why they changed it.
1: I wish I could tell you because I couldn't find when any... they
0: re- did the redo, they put yeah squirrels they do in. S-
1: they do squirrels in the remake. So I'm not sure. I looked it up because I knew there was a difference, and I was like, oh, I wonder which one is like more true to the book. And they do squirrels in the book, and I couldn't find any reason why they did geese for this one
0: maybe the geese were easier
1: i think it has to do with the colloquialism of a good egg or a bad egg versus a good nut or a bad nut
0: maybe at the time
1: right i just think that the that the idiom was different and a good egg probably just tested better or something like i think it has something to do with the idiom and the the etymology of the colloquialism kind of vibe but this is where we get Veruca singing, I Want It Now, because she decides she wants a golden egg and she's gonna fucking get it.
0: She wants a goose. She doesn't yeah. just want an egg, she wants a whole fucking goose.
1: I love this song. I used to relate so hard as a child. I was a firstborn. I'm not afraid to say it. I heard this song and I was like, this song's about me.
0: I also was a firstborn <laughs> and I did not connect to this song, so I don't know that that's the reason. <laughs>
1: Whatever, I'm going to take... I'm also a little bit of a narcissist, so that probably has something to do with it, but I love this song.
0: So did you know um, that it took her 36 takes? What? 36 takes to get what they got, and (gasps) it was on her 13th birthday.
1: Oh my God. Well, what they got isn't anything to gawk at, so... Well,
0: because like the the thing too is, is that there were several times where her mouth was completely off. Oh like, cuz they were
1: they were doing like overhead recordings during the filming. Yeah, so the okay. like the
0: sound was completely off and I was like this was your this was the best take out of 36. Yeah. Big yikes. Yikes. So she gets up on this machine and she sits her butt down. Turns out she was a bad egg and she went flying down the chute.
1: As if anybody had any doubt.
0: The dad's like, "Well, what happened to her?" Well, that shoot oh. leads
1: to the the furnace that leads to the garbage.
0: It leads to essentially an incinerator. Um, But but, I'm pretty
1: sure it's only lit every other day. So so. there's like a
0: 50-50 shot.
1: Yeah, chances are good that she's probably alive right now.
0: And then the dad just flings himself down the chute. And Grandpa Joe, even after hearing all of that, he says, well...
1: He finally got what he always wanted. Veruca went first. Yep. Yikes.
0: Went first. <laughs> like death. Yikes. Oh.
1: Veruca's uh, Oompa song always scared the crap out of me. As it should. It's got all those like neon words that like spin and stylize into... And swirl.
0: Yeah, and... And I don't know yep. why,
1: but those words, it was just nightmare fuel to me. Just It scared the pants off Is me. Is it
0: because you really connected with Veruca and the Oompa Loompa's were coming for you? Oh,
1: I don't know, but it scared me.
0: <laughs> so then they get into the soda car.
1: Now... The bubbly car only has four seats. (gasps) Not to point out the obvious, but Wonka knew what he was up to the entire time.
0: So he has the Oompa Loompas put in a bunch of different kinds of soda and carbonated things that will make it go.
1: And when Uncle Joe asks what they're putting in, Wonka rattles them all off. And I think it's Mike TV's mom says something about like, how does that power a car? And Wonka looks right at Grandpa Joe and says, there's a lot of power in fizzy drinks. He knew everything the whole time.
0: Oh yeah, he did. So the soda bubbles up and gets everywhere.
1: It starts coming out of funnels. It starts coming out of pipes. It's covering the kids. It's covering the parents.
0: It's covering Wonka. And he's like singing in some foreign language while he's driving this car.
1: Terrifying. 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 <laughs> Just
0: was Nightmare so wild. Fuel. Um, they go through this thing that cleans them up, which it, is like... It like,
1: squeegees them. It squeezes the car. And the whole car disappears before it all starts to come out the other end.
0: They went through a different dimension. I
1: mean, yeah. It's space travel.
0: Speaking of space travel, we get to the chocolate bar via TV scene. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, this is cool. Yeah. Wonka is talking about the fact that, like, he wants to be able to send a chocolate bar through the airwaves the same way that they send pictures. So he's like, okay, so we have to take the chocolate bar and make it a lot bigger because... Otherwise, it's going to come out super tiny on the other side. Right.
1: It's like a sidelong joke about like everything smaller on TV. So but then, he essentially like... But he, he also
0: gives the rules to what this thing needs in order to have the thing on the other end come out correctly, which is yes. important. They send the chocolate bar. It's real. Everyone is super jazzed.
1: And it breaks into like thousands and thousands of tiny pieces in the air above their heads and then comes back together on the TV.
0: And Charlie gets to test it and it's just like a real life chocolate bar. He
1: says it's delicious.
0: Mike TV then jumps over to the landing pad and he's like, do you think that you can send anything? And he's like, yeah, we can send anything. He's like... Even people? And he's like, well, I mean, and then... Theoretically.
1: And then he says, no, definitely. I'm, I'm positive it, it would work.
0: Then Mike's like, cool, and runs over and...
1: Doesn't waste a fucking second. No,
0: because he's like, I'm going to be the first person sent via television. And his whole thing was television. His right, last name obs- is TV. He's
1: obsessed with television.
0: So then he gets sent through the airwaves and it takes quite a while because, I mean, it's a million pieces that a human was put into. Right.
1: He's significantly more complex than a chocolate bar.
0: So then he finally gets put back together, but he is tiny.
1: Tiny, tiny, tiny. This is another really cool use of all the practical effects with like the really upscaled set that makes Mike look really tiny. And Mm -hmm. like, you can tell some of the pictures are like spliced together because this entire room is stark white and they're all wearing like white jumpsuits. And like, it's, first of all, the aesthetic of this room is super cool. From the Technicolor, like whirlwind of inventions and edible trees and like everything we've been through, like the crazy Technicolor boat train. And like, it's all so starkly contrasted against this white room and I really love that about this scene but also you can very clearly see like green screening outlines
0: yeah so they send him to the taffy puller and then the mom faints <laughs> she's so and funny and just keeps fainting over and over again
1: and when she picks up little itty bitty mic tv from like in front of the television you mm-hmm. can tell she's holding just like a little painted army Bell? man yeah, yeah it's like a it looks like one of those little green army men but it's mm-hmm. just like painted white and she drops it into her purse I just love the practical effects. I think it's really great. They get ushered out and then Mike has his Oompa song. Mike T V gets the best Oompa song. Sorry everybody. I'm sorry. It ends really cool. It's got some cool harmonies. It feels very final. Sorry, because it is. It's better than everybody else's.
0: It's the final Oompa song.
1: It is, it's the last one we get.
0: Grandpa Joe and Charlie are like walking through and walk with Wonka, and Wonka's like, the tour's done. Have a great day. Bye. And they ask him questions about like the other people. And he, and he does say something about, well, let's hope that they took what they learned in here as a lesson to bring into their actual lives. Yeah, let's
1: hope they're different people.
0: Then he goes into his office and grandpa is pissed.
1: Grandpa's full on mad. And is
0: like, what the fuck do you mean? We're the last ones standing. That means we get a lifetime supply of chocolate. Which, what do these people... I, we've already said it, but literally I'm like, (laughs) what you're going to go and then resell them. Like, is that how you think this is going to work? Like, I just, I don't know. So grandpa's pissed and he barges in to Wonka's office and everything is cut in half.
1: Is there a reason why everything's cut in half? There
0: is. So the director was like, we can't go through this whole fanciful thing and have it look like a normal fricking office.
1: Well, he's right.
0: By cutting everything in half like that. It's enough to where the office can look like an office, but it's like off-putting.
1: Mission accomplished. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, it
0: can't just be a normal office. Then grandpa's like, okay, so what about Charlie? Like, doesn't he get his lifetime supply of chocolate? And Wonka's like, No. Because he broke the contract, he starts like spouting off stuff in Latin. He, yeah, he likes. This is another one of those parts where he gets so worked up and just is screaming about the it's fact rage. that it is full blown rage, which, fun fact, they didn't know he was going to do that. Of
1: course not. Because Why they would wanted, they? They
0: wanted their genuine reaction because they had rehearsed this before and done a few different takes where he would get stern and mad, but he didn't like start screaming at them. Yeah. But then he did that in this take and they're like, oh shit. And he this recites. This the, the wrath. This is the upset that we it's need. It's the
1: wrath. He recites the exact passage of where they broke the rules, taking fizzy lifting drinks, which again, he absolutely knew about. He told you point blank that he knew about it when he looked at you and said the power of fizzy. You knew. He knew that you knew. Don't he play. Also,
0: Yeah, because he also goes through and is like, no, because we have to like re-sanitize the whole room. Right. We have to do all of this stuff.
1: I even told you that room wasn't ready and now we have to go back and do more. So no, you get nothing. And he recites something in Latin and he recites two phrases. The first is fax mentis incendium gloria cultum, which translates roughly to passion for glory is the torch of the mind or passion for glory will light the way for the mind, Mm -hmm. Um, which is to say that like wanting new things, being inspired to accomplish things allows for ingenuity, allows the mind to invent things, it allows for innovation, but you have to want better, mm-hmm. is essentially what that passage means. The second passage is a little fudged at the end, but he says, memo bis punitor delicatum. The delicatum is probably skewed for delictum, because mm. delicatum isn't a Latin word, but delictum is. Mm. So they think it was probably just like a like a geneism that he just kind of like flubbed the word oh, in a man. moment of rage. heightened rage. Yeah. And the closest translation is I am mindful that the crime is punished twice, meaning that if you strive for innovation, if you allow yourself to want to pursue higher things, there are rewards and there are punishments. There is never, like, an easy way out of innovation. Like, you will lose something if you invent something kind of deal.
0: Gotcha. The duality of life.
1: Right. So it's it's this really deep, profound, like, little Latin moment that, of course, like, unless you take the time to translate it while you watch the movie real quick, like, it's not going to mean anything to you. He's essentially, like, the clause at the end is essentially, like, him reprimanding himself.
0: Exactly. He's pissed, and Grandpa's like, fine, no, we're going to... Flat out tells Charlie, like, right in the doorway. Out loud in the office. And it's in the doorway of Wonka's office. And it's like, no, we're going to take that gobstopper and we're going to sell it to... Slugworth. Slugworth. And we're going to get that 10K because fuck him and fuck this whole place. Yeah. And Charlie doesn't say anything. He just thinks about it. And then he walks back over to Wonka and he puts the gobstopper on Wonka's desk and starts to walk away.
1: And when he walks up, the back of Wonka's vest is so wrinkled. <laughs> Ugh. It's so irritating to me because we haven't seen the back of it up to this point, And I know I'm the only one who cares. But like, wasn't there someone on staff who could have steamed this real it's quick? It's a part
0: of his rage, Drake.
1: Maybe. Let it be wrinkled. I'm just mad about it personally. but But yes, so there's this one last test because... Well, I'll let you tell it.
0: Because Wonka knows for a fact, you could have taken this and you could have sold it to this Slugworth character because everyone else got trapped or sent somewhere else. So they were able to take the gobstopper away.
1: Right. He knew this was the only gobstopper that would leave the factory.
0: So he was like, Charlie, you did it. You decided even despite all of this, you knew things were wrong. You gave me the gobstopper back so you wouldn't do a wrong thing twice. You've won, my boy! You've won! And then, Slugworth walking through a wall? <laughs>
1: It's like a secret passage of sorts.
0: Yeah. And Charlie's like, oh my God, there he is. And he's like, no, no, no. He's worked for me the whole time. He's my friend. My friend. My friend. Gay romance, (laughs) if you uh, ask me. Yes, it was Um,
1: one last safeguard that he set up. He sent this man out so that whenever someone won a ticket, he would find them, corner them, and be like, hey, this is going to be our last safeguard. We're going to give you this thing that ultimately, retrospectively, is probably meaningless. Like, gobstoppers probably aren't even candy. But we're going to give this to you. And if you win, we have this one last safeguard. Because if one of the shitty kids wins on, like, accident, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then we know that they're going to leave with this. And then they won't win the factory.
0: Everyone is super jazzed. Oh, my God. Charlie, you did it.
1: And I've sort of spoiled it just now. But Wonka tells him that, like, it's yours now.
0: It's yours now. This whole thing is yours now.
1: When you, when I said you win a lifetime supply of chocolate, it's because you live here now.
0: And what's funny is that like in the Oompa Loompas song, if you do like the Oompa Loompas, if you do the correct thing, you'll live like the Oompa Loompas do.
1: In the factory. In the factory. Granted, they're living in a a shed with one bed right now. So like probably an improvement, but like.
0: Well, yeah. and And that's the thing. So then um, they go into this glass elevator. The
1: Wonka-vator. The
0: wonka Uh Wonka's like, I've pushed every single button in this elevator. And each button ex- goes a
1: different direction. It goes up ways and sideways and slant ways and backways and four ways and every way you can think of. But I've never pushed this one button.
0: Push the button, Charlie.
1: It's a button for, and he calls it One Last Great Adventure. Do you guys know what the One Last Great Adventure is? Death. It's fucking death. That's what we call that. Yeah. And so Wonka looks Charlie right in the eye and says, push the button, Charlie. Kill me.
0: Essentially, yeah. What? So then the elevator goes shooting through the ceiling and he's like, do you know that this is going to work? And they're like, uh, no. There's another thing that Wonka says when they're flying through there in the elevator. And he's like, why me? Why do I get it? Wonka's like, I knew it couldn't be a man because then he would do what he wanted and not what I wanted. So I knew it would have to be a child because the child would do what I want.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little groomery.
0: It, it is. It's and like, I know gross. that's not like what the intention was, but it's very, it's again, that underlying sinister thing yeah, happening. Yeah, everything's
1: got a sinister undertone. Of
0: like... I know you'll end up doing this exactly the way that I want it, even though I know eventually I will not be able to do it anymore. So that's why I decided that I needed to look for someone now, because I need to be able to raise this child to do exactly what I want and run this factory exactly the way that I want.
1: And then they blast off into the sky, the end? When I said he looked Charlie in the eye and said kill me, I was joking. But this movie literally ends with them in an elevator in the sky. They never touch back down on the ground. It just ends. And I was like, oh my god, Wonka does actually die at the end of this film. Yeah. You won't convince me otherwise. That man is dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, controversial opinion, but there's a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's a Chris Evans film titled Snowpiercer. You ever heard of it? Oh. Have I made you watch this before? Yes,
0: you did.
1: I'm obsessed with this movie. It's about a self-contained ecosystem on a train. So, it's set like after the apocalypse, right? So, climate change got out of control, relatable content, and all of these countries decided to blast this chemical into the sky to cool the earth and it worked and then it really worked and then the planet froze solid. So earth was uninhabitable, but there was this bullet train that made like a full loop on all seven continents and would make like a full loop of its track once a year. Mhm. And it was a self-contained, self-sustaining bullet train.
0: Had its own ecosystem and like everything. Right. Had
1: its own power source, had its own everything. So, I won't give too much of it, of it away, but There are a handful of characters who kind of follow the Seven Deadly Sins model. The person who like runs the train, his name is Wilford. So everything has like this big, crazy, fanciful W on it. Like Wonka. Like all of Wonka's crazy transportation.
0: Willy Wonka.
1: Wilford Wonka. Mm -hmm. You won't convince me otherwise. And I don't want to give away the end of the movie, but like the parallels are startling.
0: That one is a lot.
1: It's really startling. There's a really cool YouTube video on it by a user called Rhino Stew. If you're ever curious, look it up. It's a really cool... Of course, it's just like a fun fan theory and there's no confirmation. But like the movie was by Bong Joon-ho, the same guy who did Parasite.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: It's really brilliant. It's also just a breathtakingly moving film. And I do recommend it for anybody who like really loves action films. It's really great. It's got some really sick action sequences. Octavia Spencer is in it. She's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh, who's the, who's the really creepy actress who plays the White Witch in Narnia? Oh, what's her name? She's in it as well.
0: No, I know exactly who you're talking about. It's a
1: great about. movie. I do recommend it. And it is allegedly the sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's real crazy stuff. Are you looking her up?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're going to find out. I always forget her name. She's in
0: Tilda Swinton. Tilda
1: Swinton. Yes. She's in
0: gosh, bless it.
1: She's in the Dr. Strange movies as well and all kinds of other stuff. I love her. I think she's so talented, but what do you rate this movie?
0: Um, my knee jerk reaction was a three.
1: I want to give it like a four and a half. Oh, I think it loses half a point for, I don't love the depiction of the Oompa Loompas. I don't love the history behind it. I don't love the depiction. I think it could have been done better. But everything else, I think, is done so well.
0: I guess if you're thinking of it in regard... I should think of it in regard to the time, too. I think all the music
1: is really good, too. The
0: music is good. Um, There's some technical aspect. But then, it's of course, it's 1971.
1: Right. And for 1971, the practical effects that they used were very effective. That's true. And they, they got the job done and they... I mean, they're not like the CGI capabilities of now, but I think they were well done for the time.
0: I'm gonna, I think we should say four. And here's why.
1: Tell me all about it.
0: The amount of times that they did not inform actors of things that they should have informed actors about.
1: That's totally fair. Particularly like.
0: It's specifically the boat scene. The boat scene
1: is the one that like, the the other times it's maybe acceptable because you're looking for a genuine reaction and no one was in danger.
0: Right. The boat scene is one that I just can't get you put children in that
1: it's a little unethical and
0: just and that's the thing is that it's like okay
1: that's a really fair point so i think we i think we can give it a four
0: i think a solid four yep
1: okay solid four shall we give it the biddy test
0: the bd the Binny drake pass fail i don't know
1: pass
0: because like could gene wilder do it yeah
1: I think the mom has a really lovely voice, and I love the song The Candyman.
0: But you have to think about those actors being on stage.
1: Mom could do it.
0: For runs.
1: Mom could have done it. She got a really lovely voice.
0: Charlie only sung for a hot second, but he sounded awful. He
1: did sound really bad.
0: So bad. (laughs) And Gene Wilder has a passable voice.
1: He does. He holds his own musically.
0: Yeah, but...
1: He's a professional. I think he could do it. I think Gene he, Wilder did he Broadway. Could.
0: He could, but I don't... I'm sure I'm he has Broadway thinking, credits. I'm also thinking about all of those other children.
1: Yeah, but the other children don't really sing. At least not in the movie.
0: Veruca does.
1: Yeah, but her voice suits what she's doing. I guess. And she sounds fine. She wasn't a very good lip-synker, accordingly. But she had the chops to do it out loud. I think it passes.
0: I say pass, but for a very short run.
1: Well, as we saw it on Broadway, Whoa. it had a short run. <laughs> okay, four and a pass, but scathingly.
0: Scathingly.
1: Just, just barely. Uh, would you care for a fortune cookie?
0: Um, could it actually be a little bit of a chocolate bar?
1: Sure. I have a chocolate bar for you today.
0: Or or a fortune cookie dipped in chocolate.
1: Ooh. Delicious. I like that. So this is a quote from Snowpiercer, which again, I recommend everybody watch. All
0: right.
1: And the quote is, order is the barrier that holds back the flood of death.
0: (laughs) Your face. Okay.
1: It's the truth. And it's a lesson those children had to learn the hard way. That's true. If you don't follow the rules, the rules are there for a reason. Order is the barrier. That holds back the flood of death. Write that down.
0: Terrifying. <laughs> Sinister. Yeah.
1: Sinister. It's what it's about. So where can they find us?
0: All right. You can find us on Twitter at BackstageBDs. That's backstage B for Binny, D for Drake, S. Instagram at BackstageBiddies. And TikTok at BackstageBiddies. Or email us at BackstageBiddies at gmail.com. If you rate us five stars and comment or send us some sort of message.
1: And tell a friend about the podcast.
0: And tell a friend about the podcast. um, Then we will move your option to the top of the list for next year.
1: <laughs> we have a lot of the rest of the year planned out, but a lot of them there's are some,
0: there's some of them that are, yeah, that there's a handful
1: shaken. of, of other so when you're listener thinking, submissions in the rest of the year, but
0: yeah, when you're thinking of listener submissions for October, we're working off of just spoopy musicals for December. We're looking at like holiday Christmas musicals. So keep those things in mind. If you're looking for that kind of time period, but also, I don't know. We're just going to keep doing this. So, like, send us stuff.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get next it. year lined up.
0: <laughs> Hot dog.
1: How, where can they find you?
0: You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Binny Bitty. And you can find me on Twitter uh, at Binny and No E. Where can they find you?
1: Are you ever going to say Twitter normally Twitter? ever again? No. Okay. You can find me on TikTok and Twitter. Excellent. At Drake underscore Leverance. That's Drake underscore L-E-W-E-R-E-N-Z as in zebra. Drake underscore Leverance.
0: All right. Be kind and watch out for creepy guys.
1: This was so delicious. Let's go mm-hmm. get some chocolate.
0: Yeah. Okay. okay Bye. Bye. of you who didn't just get that reference
1: get some culture in your life rupaul how did you end up here listening to this podcast if you don't get that reference
0: i mean it no it's possible
1: i don't think it is I it is go watch season 14 i think it is
0: some season of Ru- season
1: 14 of rupaul's drag race they have a chocolate bar twist go look it up
0: it's very funny